Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew And today's show, we're talking about how much should I save? Now, at our recent wealth plan tour, where we came around the country, we asked all of you guys what you wanted to hear more about on the show. And a couple of you said, well, how much should I be saving or investing per week? And I think what this comes down to is we all want to know, are we doing enough? Or are we in the right ballpark with the amount of investments or savings we're making? Now, the truth is it all depends on what your goals are, but I want to give you guys some good rules of thumb so that you can get a sense of where you're at versus perhaps the average person or what you, quote unquote, should be doing. Now, people have different views on this and how much you should save, but one rule is what they call the 50-30-20 rule. Now, this comes from the book All Your Worth, which was actually written by Elizabeth Warren, who she ran for president a couple of years ago. Do you remember that? No. And in her book, what she says is you take 50% of your after-tax take-home pay, that's the money that actually comes into your bank account, and you spend that on your needs. So that might be your rent or petrol for the car or basic groceries, anything you absolutely really need. Take another 30% and put that towards your wants. So that might be if you need to go out and buy some clothing or alcohol or concert tickets or anything that you don't absolutely need to live, the things that make life worth actually living. And then she says, put 20% towards savings. So 50% for needs, 30% to wants, 20% towards savings. And if you Google, how much should I be saving? That rule comes up pretty consistently. Now, there are some good and there are some bad things about this, Andrew. Walk us through what those actually are. So I think the good thing is it's very simple. It's easy to follow that kind of model. If you've got a set amount that you're putting aside every week, it's easy. The downside is... The amount that you save is probably going to change over time. So if you think about starting out in your kind of investment journey, if you've got a big mortgage and you've got a lot of expenses, you're probably not going to be able to do that. Whereas if you're nearing retirement, then your expenses have probably gone down a bit, your kids have left home, hopefully, and you might be able to put more money aside. And so in an ideal world, if we're thinking about your stage of life, when you're starting out, you're probably not going to save quite as much. You might not be able to hit that 20% savings goal. And so the risk is that you end up beating yourself up, thinking, I'm a loser, I'm not saving 20% of my income. And then people don't do anything at all. And then the flip side is maybe you get to retirement and you think, sweet, I'm, I'm saving 20% of my income. This is really easy because I don't have kids, my income's gone up. But actually, that might not be enough for your goals. But here's the thing. It's just a good ballpark because all of our goals are different. Now, if I was going to set this up, how would it actually work? Well, I'd probably do what the Barefoot Investor says. I mean, it's a great book on money management. If anybody hasn't read Barefoot Investor, which is an Australian book, just gives you some really easy tips about how do you actually set up your money the right way. And so let's say that you were earning $100,000, and we'll use that number to keep it really simple. After tax and KiwiSaver, you've got about 1400 bucks, just over 1400 bucks coming into your bank account every week. So what I'd do is I'd have that money come into my bank account, and I would have that account be my needs account, right? So that's what I'm actually going to spend on my needs. And I would have an FPOS card for that specific account and I would leave $716 in there, which is exactly half of my weekly take-home pay. But then I would set up two automatic transfers. I'd get that 30% and I'd automatically transfer that out every single week or fortnight or month, whatever you happen to get paid, whatever your pay cycle is. And I'd send that off to the wants account. And that's about 430 bucks. And I'd have an FPOS card for that. And I think the most important thing is to keep those FPOS cards separate. You've got one for your needs and you've got one for your wants. And the reason I recommend doing that is people 
generally speaking, are useless with money. There will be some of you guys listening to the show who are absolutely excellent and you'll have spreadsheets tracking your budgets and all of those things. But even though I'm a spreadsheet guy, I am useless at tracking money. So it needs to be in separate accounts. So when I go out and I go for my, my daily coffee, that's on my wants card. If I'm paying rent or I'm paying my mortgage, that's going to come out of my needs account. So keeping those two things separate is going to be very important. But there's also one other automatic transfer you're going to have, which is your 20% going out to savings and investments. And that'd be about $287 a week. And what I'd recommend doing is do not have an FPOS card for your savings and investments account. Now, why is that, Andrew? Because you don't want to touch it and probably have it with another bank as well. So you're not seeing it online banking and you're thinking, I'll just put money back across to my spending account. Yeah, it happens all the time. Yep. I see people do this. At the you're, ATM as well. Either at the ATM or you'll be about to buy something. You go out clothes shopping, you think, oh, I really want that extra top or whatever it happens to be, dress. And then you transfer it across. So you think, okay, I'll just spend that now. Well, you haven't saved that money now. You're spending it. And so really put it, I'd have three accounts, two cards, the savings or investment account, probably with a different bank. Now, Andrew, we've actually got to define what counts as saving and what doesn't, because there are some ways to cheat the system here. So I think, remember, that savings and investing are the same thing. So if you've got a rental property at the moment and you're topping that rental property up, that counts as savings. So if you're putting money into that or you're putting money into shares or a term deposit, for example, all of that is counted as savings. Now, the one thing I would exclude is KiwiSaver. And the reason for that is that's locked up. You can't actually access that. So I try and treat that as extra savings. So if you've got 3% coming out of your pay and going to your KiwiSaver fund, then I would put another 20% still into savings because that's a more liquid type of savings or investment. And also, once you start thinking about KiwiSaver, it makes the whole system less simple. So you might say, well, I'm already putting 3% automatically into my KiwiSaver, so I only have to save 17%. But then my employer also puts in 3%, so I'm actually already saving 6% of my income. So now I only need to save 14%. And actually, the rule of 50-30-20 is after tax, and my KiwiSavers are before tax, so actually maybe I only need to save 12%. So you can kind of jerry-rig or trick yourself into saving less and the issue with that is it becomes more complicated. The beauty of the 50-30-20 rule is it's so simple. So I would exclude KiwiSaver from that. And as Andrew said, your KiwiSaver balance is restricted. So I'd try and keep it separate if you can. Now, there is a big question and assumption here, which is that we've said, look, 20% of your after-tax pay as a ballpark should be saved. But is that the right number? Now, everyone's got different rules of thumb. If we were to read Barefoot Investor, he says 20% of savings of after-tax income as well. That's his ballpark rule. He's got slightly different buckets to how you spend it. It's more 60, 10, 10, 20. Read the book. It's an excellent book. I think we've actually also Looked done a review. review on it in the past. Dave Ramsey, big, big American money man. He says pay all of your debt off first, then save 15% for your retirement. And he hates de debt. Yeah, absolutely hates debt. And actually, he's one of those people who says... Well, the 30% spent on wants is stupid. If you're in debt, you should be putting all of that money towards paying off debt first. Jeez, he must be a miserable guy to go out for a drink with. Well, it's really interesting. I watched one of his clips where someone called up and they were just horrendously in debt, like good incomes. And it's the classic story we often see. Good incomes, but massive amount of student debt. I think they had like 90 grand on a credit card or something, personal loans. And she's like, what should we do? He's like, I'm about to ruin your life. 
you're not going to see the inside of a restaurant for I've, the next I think seven I've seen years. This one. Yeah. I was like, oh, 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 he speaks the truth. But he says 15% for your retirement after you've paid off all your debt. I went to an Enable Me seminar once with Hannah McQueen, and I, I'm pretty sure she said 10 to 20% of your pre-tax income. Might have got that wrong. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's a bit complicated doing pre-tax as well. I think you always work on net. Well, the, the good thing about pre-tax is everybody knows what their pre-tax is. You know, if you earn 100k, yeah, but you know what hits your account. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No, you're right. You're right. You are right. Look, you're being nice to me today, so I'll, I'll, I'll pretend <laughs> I agree with you. But 20% seems to be a pretty commonly accepted goal amongst a lot of financial commentators. So it's a good rule of thumb. It's quite a large amount, though. Well, it is depending on what your income is and what your expenses are. For someone like me, I don't have kids, right? So it's really easy. And I don't have, have a mortgage because I've rent. I've got investment properties. So, I mean, in many ways, maybe I'm able to trick myself into saying, well, oh, look at all this money I'm putting towards investments because I just chuck it in and pay a whole heap of other mortgages for properties then and get depressed when the number doesn't go down like everybody else. But definitely, if you had a couple of kids and you're on the median income in New Zealand, somewhere between 65 and 70K, you've got a couple of kids and a mortgage, 20% is going to be a real struggle. So how easy it is does depend on your situation. And I think that comes down to what your goals are, because if you are on a low income, 20% might not be achievable right now, particularly with high interest rates. If you've got a large mortgage at the moment, then that's probably eroding a lot of your ability to save money. But if you are on a higher income, maybe your expenses are relatively low because you're later on in life. Maybe you can invest more than that 20%. So I think it comes down to personal circumstance. So this is just a rule of thumb. And I think you've got to remember, when you look at American finance books, they have mortgages where you can fix them for 10 to 30 years. So there's a lot less volatility when it comes to interest rates. So maybe it's not all exactly the same here in New Zealand. Well, I think what that means is that you can set up these rules of thumb in the States. And if you know what your interest rate or your mortgage repayment is going to be for 10 years, at the minimum, then you're kind of sweet. You know what your repayments are. Whereas if you're jumping from 2% to 5% to 7% as your mortgage interest rate, that's going to really impact you because your mortgage payments are going to skyrocket. So if you're not doing 20% right now, while interest rates are 7%, then you can kind of understand that. Yeah, and maybe set yourself a goal to review that every year so that when your interest rates do come down, you are putting that money aside. But even though this is a show about property investing, I still think this is a really important topic because at the moment, if you're investing in property, those properties are likely to be negatively geared. And if you're putting money towards that, that is going to count as some of that 20% of your income going towards saving and or investments. But if we're going to invest and if we're going to invest in property, we've got to be managing our personal cash flow. Now, let's talk about how much we're doing, Andrew, and how we manage our money. Why are you giving me that smirk? Well, I just wanted to know what you do first. Okay, well, as a standard, I got my money coming into my ASB account, and I typically put about 900 bucks a week towards investments. That's good. Do you actually do this? No, I actually do okay. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as I said before, bear in mind, like I'm very lucky. I'm on a relatively good income. I don't have kids. I rent, so my living expenses are actually quite low per week. And because I travel between Auckland and Christchurch all the time, thankfully... The company covers a lot of my costs. Yeah, the company credit card handles most of them. And so I'm in an extremely fortunate position. So money comes into ASB, transfer that money into what I call my fire extinguisher account. That's just what Barefoot Investor calls it. So that's what I call it. And then I transfer that money into my Westpac account. And I, I do it manually, but I don't know why I do it manually. I should change that, actually, so I don't get tempted to spend it, which do once you, in a while... Do you forget? It, not usually. I wouldn't let it go more than two weeks without doing it. 
I also have all of my rents coming into my ASB accounts and then I transfer it over to Westpac. The only reason I do that is so I can track that it's actually come through, which is something we've talked about on the show. And then I have all of my mortgages, all of my investment property costs handled out of the Westpac account. So I just have money accumulating there in an offset account. Just in one account? Just in one account once it gets transferred across. And so what that means is that money gets transferred across, it starts to build up. And then if you haven't heard of an offset account, that's just where if I've got 10 grand in there, it has the same effect of reducing my mortgage by 10K so that I don't get charged that extra interest on any money that I've got in there. Now, the reason I've set it up this way is it's so simple. I can track the money coming in and then I chuck it across and then it all gets transferred out and the mortgages get paid and you pay the rates and the body corps and the residence associations and you think you're doing really well until those bills come out. But that's investing right now. That's the reality of it. So that's how I do it. How do you manage your money, Andrew? To be fair, I don't put my salary aside. I use that for spending and then things like dividends. That's what I save. And that goes to a separate, completely separate account, different bank. Okay. And so is that where you just keep it there and then decide what to do with Correct. it? Correct. Oh, that sounds And excellent. separate banks, so I don't see it. I'll ask you this, but we might edit it out. How much as a percentage would you say you're saving of your, of your salary? I save most of my dividends. Yeah, okay. But then I reinvest. So I think the main two things is that the rule of 20% is excellent as a starting point. If you're young like me and you've got less expenses, maybe you could do more than 20%. I'm currently well over 20% because I want to save it and invest for my future. But also as a property investor, just remember any money you're topping up your rental properties by, that is savings. Investing. That, that is investing because saving and investing are basically the same thing. So if you're not seeing that money you know, really start to accumulate, I wouldn't feel too bad about that, especially when interest rates are high. But that money you're putting towards your investment properties, that is still an investment for your future. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, Andrew, just speaking about the Wealth Plan Tour, one of the things that I was really surprised about is that when we were talking about how we here at Opus Partners help people buy new build investment properties, so many people came up to me and said, I don't know you guys had new build investment properties that I can look at and potentially buy. And so I do just want to mention, if you are in the market looking for a new build investment property, you might like to come see us at Opus Partners. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicole. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.